everybody, and welcome back to the Off the Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and today I'm joined by my other two clones, Mac and Mac. Would it be, would it do? Hello. Just kidding, it's Garrett and James. I know, disappointment, but we're here, and we can't all be perfect. <laughs> we cannot. Boy fix. But today, <laughs> we are actually re-recording the Marty Robbins episode oh, that was planned pain. for last week. We had a very unfortunate technical issue. Um, for some reason, the mixer quit out on us mid-recording, and when I went to stop the recording, it ate the entire recording. Was it a software issue or was it a hardware issue? I think it was both. Like, Because mm. I, all I did was stop the recording button. It literally disappeared which has never happened before we lost like an hour of recording and we were so devastated that we just like decided to move it to next week and take it over the album and we went out the new drank. album yeah yeah we, we went out drinking actually, <laughs> <laughs> we actually did go out and drink but had a uh espresso martini yeah i did oh that's right yeah, you did you, was... you got one after my girlfriend and like everybody got except i garrett. was the responsible father yeah garrett did not get one i ended up sobering up so he didn't have to drive and for that we thank you but Marty, Martin Robbins, what a what a lad. Country icon, honestly. Yes. Cowboy icon. Who that lived in the 60s and 70s can really forget those, the fringe <laughs> and the cowboy hat. I mean, oh, what a man. I mean, I'm just that he decided to make this a staple of country music for a decade. Don't know whether to strangle him. Or, or congratulate him. I mean, really, like Marty was pretty influential to country as a whole. He he was pretty much the the pioneer of that outlaw country movement. Yeah, um, outlaw country started as an idea, and then it really kind of moved its way into a mindset and almost kind of like a way of life. Because in the beginning, to be in country, to really honestly be in music in general, but definitely country, you have to have a few things. You had to be from the south. Or like live in the South, you had to do all your recording, all of your work in like Memphis and Nashville and in and around Tennessee. You had to be, you had to have like real buttoned up religious values and you had to be clean. Marty Robbins was the first, he was outlaw and not in really in the way he presented himself and the way he acted, but he was outlaw in the fact that he did not want to be. I mean, he started his career around Memphis, but he eventually moved back to his hometown uh, or his home state of Arizona and around Phoenix. His line of thinking was, I want to go back to where I'm from. Why do I have to be pigeonholed here? He's like, I know. I mean, it's kind of like how California is. Hollywood is the center of movies and television now. But he was like, why can't I make it elsewhere? Can you not be country in the West? Can you not be country in Washington, in California, in Oregon? So why don't we just... Record wherever we want to. And for all the people that think that Western people out living out West can't be country too, he's like, why don't I make an album about one of the most country subjects of all time? Westerns. And then, and so he did. Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs was born. Came about. Often considered, I, I would say this is considered a classic at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely. mean, it's undeniable, but it was recorded in 1959. It was done in one eight-hour recording session. The personnel on this album was called the Nashville A-Team. It was a group of studio musicians in Nashville that pretty much 
played the entirety of the backing tracks of the country scene from the 50s to the 70s. These guys backed people like Hank Williams, Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly, Don Woody, Arlo Guthrie, Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline, Bing Crosby, Bob Dylan. So many big and iconic country and folk people of those decades. And that was very much a common thing in country and a lot of folk music in general. You know, country artists are typically like a single person, like a personality, like Marty Robbins, Dolly Parton, Johnny Cash. Whenever they went to the recording studio, they would often contract the session musicians at that studio or in that area. Exactly. And this is no exception. I mean, the lead guitar for this album, Grady Martin. Oh, man. Grady Martin. And aside about Grady Martin, just to kind of frame his greatness and, and his career, so to speak, part of the Nashville A-Team, great session musician, great classical and guitarist that played many different styles. He not only is he a big part of this album, but he also accidentally created the fuzz effect by one of his channels was like faulty. And so he, it kind of had that like old school, like fuzz sound. So he actually took that while he was working with Marty Robbins and he decided to put it on one of his songs. And that is one of the first songs to ever have fuzz kind of distortion effect on it and guitar. But he was on other stuff like, like, I mean, he was on El Paso. He did Roy Orbison's Old Pretty Woman. Johnny Horton's The Battle of New Orleans. Um, Willie Nelson's On the Road Again. He's he's doing as the guitar for On the Road Again. Really? Ray Price for The Good Times. Uh, Satin Sheets. He played old Loretta Lynn, Conway Twitty, Chris Christopherson. He's on literally about every Patsy Cline single like ever made. And it doesn't say what Elvis tracks he's worked on, but he's worked with Elvis too. Yeah, yeah. Grady Martin is basically a country legend. Oh, man. Session monster. Yeah, absolute session maniac. Him and uh, Bob Moore, too. Bob Moore has literally performed in over 17,000 recordings in his entire career. The Roy Orbison one really surprised me because Roy Orbison had played his own guitar at some point, but apparently he didn't. He might have wrote the lyric, the line, but he did. He didn't record it. Yeah. On top of that, uh, Bob Moore's son, uh, Stevie Moore is considered the godfather of home recording and DIY music, which is also like, when I saw that, I was just like, Interesting. what? The, the talent backing this project in particular is astounding. Well, Memphis and the country mm-hmm. music scene, they pretty much had this idea where we're going to use the same people. And it was back in the day, it was pretty hard to get into the country music because it was, they wanted just solid releases, so they're like, we're only going to use the same musicians, the same like pop. They didn't really have a lot of like new guys rising up. Like, if, to get popular, you had to go through a long process to slowly build your credit up to that point. They just wanted the same musicians, the same sessions, the same studios, the same producers, same directors. They just wanted all these in-house guys to make the same because they wanted the same. They wanted the consistency. I mean, it's a common theme across almost all music, really, especially back in those days, you know, record labels. They were only really interested in the business side, you know, making money and stuff. And they were not willing to take risks on new, like, experimental things. They just wanted to stay safe and go with whatever was making the most money. Yeah, they were just wanting to chug out albums like it was a sweatshop. Yeah. Now I really want to listen to Experimental Country. I don't think I've ever heard an Experimental Country album. (laughs) I don't think I have either. (laughs) 
I think <laughs> honestly, I think the most experimental country album I've ever heard is a Sailor's Guide to Earth by Sturgill. Sturgill. Mm-hmm. And that like that album's actually really interesting. One of the only modern country albums that I've listened to and enjoyed. But to tell you the truth, I'm definitely out of my element here. I'm not a country fan. I've never been a big country fan. I mean, I know some about the genre. I'm definitely the outsider looking in here. And that's always a valuable perspective, in my opinion. That's me with jazz fusion. (laughs) And me with rap. Yeah, I mean, we all kind of have different uh, genres and lanes that we're interested in. And we, we all try to take the most diverse and open approach to listening to music that we possibly can. But we can't listen to everything. I think it's important that we all kind of have different sections of music taste. Sometimes you just want to put on your your plaid shirts and you just want to put on your hat and you want to get your spurs that jingle jangle and you just want to do the boot scoot and boogie, man. <laughs> I've <laughs> I've never personally I've never felt that way, but I <laughs> get what you're saying. You don't want to do a boot scoot boogie? Come on, man. Dude, I've been square dancing. I did not like that shit. There's like I don't know, there's like <laughs> something about the country aesthetic where it's like really <laughs> I don't know, there's just something about the country aesthetic when you're just, like, alone. It's really good driving music, I feel. I'm not writing off the genre. Not at all. It's not something I seek out on a regular basis. You really have to be in, like, a certain mindset, to, or at least for me. I feel like people that take in, like, country, especially, like, pop country on a regular basis, they feel like they live the lifestyle. Whereas if you're trying to listen to country and you don't really live, you're a city folk, like, quote-unquote, or you're, like, more of a... You know, like really religious, a city slicker, conservative viewed person. You really have to kind of like get in a mindset. I kind of see what you're saying. You kind of, you kind of have to embrace your inner country boy. Whenever I'm in the mood for country, I'm feeling like very. I really feel like a middle class, like blue collar worker. Whenever I like kind of get into that mood where I'm just like, you know what, it's not so bad. Let me just you know cut a check and go home and drink a beer. You know, once I get in that kind of like mindset, that's when that's when I appreciate country music it's really like it's every man music yes it's every man music Mm -hmm. honestly generally i was surprised by how much i enjoyed this album yeah for me country music especially this kind of country music kind of an escape it takes me back into uh, this world like the west the old west the wild wild west baby and country music is very good at doing that because of basically how the songs are written and they're structured they tell a story, not just some story. It's a very deep and engaging story a lot of times. And it's usually very easily understandable and has some strong moral theme or, or lesson. It's a story that will teach you things. And usually a lot of the stories are told in like a narrator's perspective. Like a lot of country music is on the narrator talking about like a story that happened. And much of that is done in this album. Indeed. Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs was Marty Robbins' fifth studio album of over 60 in his career. Bro, they don't, they only have like 10 on Spotify. They don't have, or they're like condensed. There's like not nowhere near that many on any streaming platform. Yeah, no, this man, this man was basically a country album sweatshop. Yes. And I can kind of see why. I mean, to record Gunfighter Ballads in one eight hour session and over 75% of it being covers, it makes sense. Country music is a lot like how blues and jazz just was back then. Most of the albums, a half to three-fourths of the album is covers. Yeah, it's almost mm. like jazz standards. I mean, look at old Beatles albums. Look at the first like one or two Beatles albums they put out. 
Most of those are like covers of like blues songs and stuff. And even Led Zeppelin. Yeah, Ze- yeah. fucking Zeppelin, the Stones did it. Yeah, it's They're definitely always, not yeah. uncommon, but I've noticed country has a tendency to lean very heavily into that, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's like jazz where you have jazz standards. Yeah, jazz that, standards. That yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of jazz musicians will play and take their own spin on. It's kind of the same thing that Marty Robbins is doing here. He's he now there are original songs here. And ironically, those are my favorite songs on yeah. this album. Marty Robbins takes a lot of these songs and makes them his own. On yeah. Album. And I do appreciate that. Like, especially strawberry run. Like I actually went back and listened to multiple covers of strawberry run by other artists. And honestly, the Marty one is the best one. Speaking of modern artists, Chris Stapleton, his song, Tennessee whiskey. I didn't know that that was a cover at first. And when I found out it was a cover, I was like, well, I got to, see who did it and there was a lot of versions by some pretty high profile artists and i listened to him i was like man their versions suck compared to his he kicked the absolute, <laughs> he stomped the absolute crap out of the song oh yeah and and sometimes that just happens with covers like the cover mm-hmm. becomes more popular than the original version it's, like, a, it's a very hot take but some of the country covers that are especially if they're country covers of not quite not really country songs if there's songs that I'm very like lukewarm about, like I'm like that's a pretty good song, but yeah. Sometimes when country singers cover them, they just give it like that just warmth and emotion that just really just takes it over the top. Two that I can think of off the top of my head, one is uh, "Fire and Rain" by James Taylor. John Denver's cover of that way better than John James. Taylor. I've seen fire. It, no, the original doesn't do it for me, but John Denver just really gives it this personal. Warm, just emotional touch that really takes over the top. The second one, the second example, it might put me in some hot water because I know it's like a white people anthem. Sweet Caroline, the Waylon cover is better than the Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond is like Bob Dylan. Everyone that covers his song makes it better. Like Johnny Cash <laughs> covering Solitary Man is better than his. I mean, he's just one of those artists that they write, they're good writers, but someone has to take what they've wrote and really put it over the top. All along the watchtower type beat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, Bob Bobby, Dylan even... Bob ad- Dylan, that show. Yeah, Bob Dylan even admitted that he enjoyed Hendrix's cover more. Same yeah. thing with Hurt by Johnny Cash. Yeah. yeah. That song, that cover makes my hair stand up every time. Johnny Cash made that song his. Beautiful, but also just dreadful in a way. It's not the kind of song you put on in the car. Yeah, and, no. Uh, scare the hose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't play hurt. You're scaring the hose. <laughs> now, I do want to dig into what's brought this album back into the light. Big Iron. Big the, freaking Iron. The opening track from this album was featured on the in-game radio from the 2010 RPG video game Fallout New Vegas. Now, this is how I became aware of that. The song. Same. I would never have known of this album. I may have heard Marty Robbins name dropped by my grandma a few times. Cause she was a very big fan of his and went to his live shows back in when she was my age, but I would have never heard of any of his song titles had he not been in yeah. fallout soundtrack. And for those that don't know, fallout new Vegas is a post-apocalyptic RPG set in Nevada and Arizona and parts of Colorado. This song fits that game so perfectly. Cause you play as this, lonesome character cowboy like ranger, ranger type, almost yeah. yeah that goes around and delivers justice to people or not depending on what you want to do excellent game big iron could have just been the soundtrack to that that game <laughs> yes. so many good it fits that well so many good tracks and like have you noticed that 
that soundtrack isn't all like just like country western. There's some like real big big band. Oh yeah, and like oh yeah, yeah, like R and B songs. But it just somehow it just fits so seamlessly. Whoever curated that soundtrack needs a raise. Busting. That's that's the takeaway there. But Big Arn is hell of an opener. Yes, Cl- country classic. Oh yeah, at man. this point, I mean, it was one of it was one of Marty's hits, right? Oh yeah, and of course it tells a classic western story. You yeah. really can't get any more cowboy than this. Yeah. I mean, it's the story of this ranger coming to town to take out an outlaw and take him back with him, dead or alive. The ranger is, you know, the dark, brooding type, the silent type. I wouldn't be surprised if this song inspired, like, all of those Clint Eastwood spaghetti western movies. Yeah, definitely. It, it's like I, that. <laughs> and this was written by Marty Robbins. Yeah. This was not a cover. This was an original piece from Marty Robbins and... In my opinion, it's it's one of the best songs in the entire album. Yeah, he did a great job with this. And just the imagery, all the detail he puts into it, he puts you there as if you're part of the crowd that's watching him and Texas Red face off. Another thing I want to mention about Marty's vocals on this song and the rest of the album, it has a lot of echo and reverb. It almost makes it sound like he's belting out these country ballads into the great texas canyon or something like that you know mm-hmm. it's it really adds a layer of immersion yes absolutely and i just because you know back then this is 1959 they didn't have like digital effects they could just plug into a board and make it happen no that was all analog yeah they had to physically create what's called an echo chamber it was this room this empty like echoey room that they would have a speaker put into well, this is just one of the ways they did it, but I know a lot of studios, including the RCA studio in Nashville, the famous one that you know Elvis recorded a lot of shit at. Anyway, they put this speaker in this empty, echoey room. It wasn't a huge room, but it was kind of like a spherical shape. They'd have the speaker connected to the board down there as they recorded, so it would just be playing what they were recording. So the echo would be picked up by mics, that were set up in that room and those mics were connected down back to the board. And so they would just, they were literally just creating an echo. All for one effect. Crazy man. Recording guys and producers in the fifties and sixties and like back in the day, geniuses. geniuses. It's unbelievable. What was accomplished back in those days? If there's a takeaway from this review, go listen to big iron. That not, should be the very least. Not even to mention, I mean, all the fucking, all the memes and remixes. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I mean, it's all over the internet. It's hard to avoid. Yeah. It, honestly. It, it was, pre- it was a pretty big like gamer meme because of Fallout New Vegas. Yeah. And it's what sparked the interest of our generation really. And brought the album back to light in the modern age. Oh man. You don't know how many people went back and listened to like Dean Martin too, because of like the fallout. And, like, <laughs> Dude, and Frank same, Sinatra. Frank, yeah, like, exactly. Bing. Yeah, Bing Crosby. Honestly, like avenues like that are, I think they're very important because you're exposing new generations to music that is influential and important to the stuff that we're listening to today. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, the ink spots, too. I, I yeah, guarantee they, you yes. that if they weren't, if Dude. the ink spots weren't on a Fallout soundtrack, they would, they might not even have like 100,000 listeners like on Spotify. Yeah, they probably yeah. would have faded into obscurity. At some point, and it makes me happy to see this because I love old music, and I think it's very valuable, and we shouldn't lose these things. 
That that's why I love things like, you know, games like that and games like Guitar Hero and and Rock Band and stuff because they they kept that music going. They kept it relevant. Yes, Guitar Hero three literally shaped my music taste. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. Like shaped my rock music taste. Yeah, G- Guitar Hero three is actually where I first heard Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. A Metallica song that was an Inner Sandman. I heard <laughs> one the first time on Guitar Hero 3. That's, that's yeah. the last song of Guitar Hero 3. The Strokes, um, like actual like heavy metal, like Slayer, Cream. Mm-hmm. All these classic, classic like, rock bands. Yes, like for the first time. Yeah, there was a bunch of them on there. I think it is important that we have media avenues like that that can expose new generations to music that's actually worth listening to and mm-hmm. worth appreciating and understanding. Music is timeless. It shouldn't be forgotten. There is valuable music from the past that we should look back on and appreciate today. Absolutely. I mean, it, it takes you back to that time in a way. Speaking of history, 160 Acres. This is actually a cover. It's pretty straightforward, I'd say. It's the next track on the track listing. Um, I did fail to mention that the version we're talking about that is on streaming services is actually the 1998 CD reissue. Mm-hmm. So the track order is a bit different from the original cut. And there were actually, what, three, maybe four bonus songs added. Yeah. But regardless, for anyone who may be confused or heard the album in the past and did not remember the track list in that order, that is why. We are talking about the 1999 CD reissue. Basically the version on Spotify. I like this song. Short, sweet, to the point. You know, it's kind yeah. of a, a fun nod to the uh, Homestead Act. Yeah. The 160 acres uh, and a mule for anybody who'd live out in West, out in the West for five years. And it's a more positive note on this album. A lot of this album, there's a, dude, there's a lot of death and <laughs> crime and tragedy and murder. And it's just a little simple tune about a guy getting his land and there's, there's in and out. There's it's a hopeful might be as far as like overall like time spent there might be less references to like violence and death on this last push a t album than there is on this marty robbins album for real <laughs> on, <laughs> people people that say this rap is just always nothing but like drugs and violence i'm like just think about this there are more songs about death on a marty robbins album in 1959 than there is on a push a t album it's not exclusive that's all I'm- we're trying to say <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it is a very positive song it's a pretty good song yeah, yeah it's it's a hopeful song you it's, know you you just got this new land and you're going down to build a house build a farm build whatever you want really it's, it's just a nice song it's cool it's, historical reference yeah it's yeah. nice it's a cool like western reference but it's nothing to write home about yeah. in my opinion it, and it is just a cover it was written by uh david cap and Not it's familiar. at this point it's considered a, a traditional Western song at this mm-hmm. point. That being said, we immediately get into one of the most tragic songs on the entire <laughs> record. They're hanging me tonight. Oh man. Um, this is actually another Ooh, cover, but man, Marty actually, this is probably the Marty most is hard. emotional yeah. performance on the record. About a man that his wife leaves him for another man and he just loses it and kills them both. I mean, what do you expect from a woman named Flo? I mean, <laughs> Good, that was your first mistake, honestly. Yeah, he out here, he out here dating the spokeswoman for your, for progressive, yeah, for progressive. Like that. <laughs> we can't, we can't do that. No, Marty, what is you doing? 
so, sorry to all the women named Flo. If yeah, you're rest in peace. Like, is there a name change? <laughs> anyway, yeah, Mar- Marty Robbins might come back from the dead, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, Martin, please run me <laughs> over with his NASCAR. <laughs> Dude, yeah, for real. Marty Robbins was a NASCAR driver. He nutty into NASCAR. Literally one of those people that is so into their hobby when they like make it that they pay their way into being a part. Like how Johnny Depp, after he became big in the movies, was just like, oh, I'm going to try being a rock star. And is like playing live with all these musicians. I'm like, bro, you just bought your way into a spot in your like dream or whatever. Jo- Johnny's just trying to be Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right, let's... let's right. Uh, Back to the sad, yeah, tragic so, song. So, love will make you do all kinds of things. Terrible well, shit. I love, I love that the song has this strong, mournful, you know, regret when he's singing. You can feel the regret in yes. his, his vocals, and he's about to pay for his crimes, and he's, you know, just wallowing in his own regret and despair. Yeah. Cool water. <laughs> This is one of my favorite songs to try. I know y'all. I feel the exact opposite. Word too hard about. Man, I love this vocal performance. Very gospel. And it's got that real echoey, that little, that up and down, just pitch shift that he uses. Wasn't this one of the tracks that was like re recorded? Like the instrumentals, at least? I might be mistaken. That being said, I, okay, I like the vocal performance. I do agree with you. It's got that cool gospel influence, but my main issue with this track is the backing track is just so bare bones and uninteresting. Yeah, it almost starts like an, like an ink spot song that, mm-hmm. but then it just kind of fades. It's Peter's off. Yeah, literally really just like a, you know, just a one, two yeah. step beat. And I understand that the main appeal of country is kind of the storytelling, you know, stripping back the instrumentals and mm-hmm. the story and the vocalist, the main focus. I don't see why they couldn't have added maybe a little more depth and layers to some of these instrumentals. That's like probably my biggest issue with this album as a whole. You have fantastic, great moments like El Paso and big iron where the, the instrumentals they're layered and they're deeper and they're full but they don't take away from the vocals. So why couldn't we get more of that on the rest of this album? I suppose it was a stylistic choice for each song. I guess it was kind of a less is more approach, but in yeah. this case, I honestly, after you know five or six listens of this album, this was probably one of the tracks I skipped the most. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Wow. I am dead serious. Garrett is looking at me wow. with that you know, Home Alone the fucking Pikachu shocked face. Yeah, he's devastated. I requested this song when I was unconsciously sick in a bathtub at a friend's house. <laughs> <laughs> I requested is, this song. I was, I was there for that. <laughs> that was, dude, that was a legendary Have you night. ever heard? Now, you know, there was like another version. So I've got a little like story, personal an- anecdote here. See, this, this is what I was talking about, though. You, there's another version of this song. Yeah. Now, in that, I haven't heard the other version. In the version, is there like a backup group that when he says, you know, he does the cool, clear water, they I do think, like. I think water, it might have been the Glazer. Is it might have been the Glazer brothers because they were the backing vocalists. Because my, my grandma, all the time, someone will sing the chorus from that song and then she'll do a little high pitch like, water, water. And I'm like, bro. That is not a thing. Like, stop doing that. That is not a part of the song. But I'm like, 
It might be a now. Might I'm be like, a, maybe it is. Might be a Mandela effect or something. Yeah, we'll. I'll it verify it later. Because like, Billy the Kid. Story about an outlaw. It's it's pretty much a classic country ballad. Another cover. Um, you know, it's about Billy the Kid and his uh, kill count of. 21 Men, which I actually really appreciate that Marty Robbins kind of like nodded to this song on Big Iron. Just a cute little nod. Yeah. But this has been covered countless times by so many different country artists. I mean, Bob Dylan did a cover, Billy Joel, Tom Petty, Woody Guthrie. The list just goes on and on and on and on. And that's mainly because it's a public domain song. So <laughs> literally anyone can perform it and make money on it. I like overall how he sticks so strongly to the concept and the themes of this album. It never deviates from it. It really makes you feel like you're just a fucking settler or a cowboy in the West just trying to survive. Anyway, what is the next? <laughs> Utah Carol. Oh, man, uh, another cover, another classic folk song, classic traditional country ballad. I love this song. It's it's a great song. It's uh, the story of this narrator's best friend uh, saving his life on a trail. And, uh, well, he, saving the little girl's well, life. Saving his little girl's life on the trail. Um, <laughs> Utah freaking died, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tale of s- sacrifice and spoiler, heroism. Spoiler alert. I really like the instrumental on this one. Uh, Grady Martin adds these like subtle guitar embellishments, and it kind of helps... Add to that wild, wild west cowboy theme. Those little classical guitar licks give it kind of this, it's a little bit of Spanish flavor. Like, I feel like the story is happening on like the Mexican border of like Texas and, 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 you know, Mexico. I got, you got plenty of that on El Paso. Oh, yeah. All that Spanish guitar. Now, Strawberry Run. I argue that this is the definitive cover of Strawberry Run. Marty does an amazing job of making this his own. I mean, the story here is it's kind of hilarious. And what's honestly. the story, Mac? This guy, he comes across this dude. He gives him $10 to uh, try and break in this horse. Yeah, and this, I just, I love how he describes the horse as some terrible outlaw. You know, yeah, some, the, the, <laughs> some terrifying, the, disgusting outlaw. And he's the, like, oh, shit. The horse is almost described as like this decrepit, grody villain and that you would never want to fuck with. <laughs> yeah, and and he hops on it and the and the song is kind of like described in a almost like a battle, a one-sided battle. A one, very one-sided battle <laughs> and the the rancher he, he loses. He gets his ass pushed in. Yes, to the, say the least. And the funny thing to note about this song is that when he describes the horse, he very he uses very ambiguous descriptors that make the horse almost seem like he's squaring off against a gunfighter himself. This isn't just taming an animal this is like a man this versus man like almost yeah. like an equal exactly it really gives a lot of like respect you know to this animal especially by the end it's a great lesson in humility and it's it's actually one of his biggest hits but fantastic track now we're on to the master's call i mean i consider it a skip i think it's a little too drags on a little long this whole archetype of a man is a criminal is a vagabond, what have you, and he finds some kind of supernatural event that makes him change his ways. That song was very, very overdone. The Ghost Riders in the Sky is another one that's covered by like everyone and their brother, and that's about a cowboy that's a criminal, and these ghost cowboys are riding across the sky, and they tell him 
if he continues to do bad, that when he dies, he'll be like them, like where all they can do is they're trapped in pretty much like purgatory. That story, that kind of song is almost kind of done to death. I feel like it has been done way better, including by Marty himself. Fair enough. Now, Master's Call is actually written by Marty. I was a little more impressed with this track, but I think that's because I'm, you know, kind of an outsider looking in. So you weren't looking at it through the lens of having heard the same story thousands of times. 15 million times, but I can definitely see how like this, this coming to God and casting down your past mistakes and sins could definitely be a stale and age old. In that, in that old school, like Memphis environment, everyone was writing songs like that. Well, it's, it's a story of redemption in the eyes of God. And that is very much a common archetype. Well, not just country, but just America and Christianity in general. One of the main myths of the Bible was the story of redemption. Christianity is definitely heavily rooted in a lot of country from that era, and even today, really. Uh, mm. So I, I understand where you're coming from. I did like Marty's performance. I thought besides um, They're Hanging Me Tonight that this was the most passionate one that he gave out. You could really feel that he strongly felt this way and was passionate about Mm. the song, and I can at least appreciate that. At the very least, even if it has been done to death, Marty Robbins brought a passionate performance here. The main thing is the authenticity of it. You could tell he truly believed what he he was singing. And for that reason, I can't really like give it a big pass. I don't think it's a bad track, but I can definitely see how that story archetype can get really old. Yeah, I don't really necessarily think it's a bad track either. I just It's pretty derivative yeah. in the grander scheme of country. But going back to the strong outlaw crime and killing Western themes, Running Gun. Now, this was actually written by Tom Paul and Jim Glazer. To me, this song was Big Iron from Texas Red's perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's nice and short and sweet, but I really like how it complements Big Iron, even going so far as to referencing that track. Like, doesn't he make the same reference to, like, the notches notches. on his pistol? Yep. The context of Big Iron, uh, I believe they're in a town close to the border. Yeah, there's some slight differences in uh, Run and Gun, because I think it's a different town that he references. I do think it's a good track, because, like, in Big Iron, you just hear Texas Red as the outlaw, and he's painted as some ruthless criminal that's killed 20 men but in running gun yeah he's killed 20 men and stuff but he's he's still a human being he's in the process of trying to get out of that life and he's in love with a woman and he wants to take her and move to mexico and get out of here and live a peaceful life for the rest of his days but his past catches up with him yeah another i feel like it's another lesson you know another moral lesson and your actions have consequences it's a great compliment to the Big Iron track because it gives it a level of depth. Like the pair gives it a level of depth that I feel you don't get from a lot of country music. Absolutely. Most importantly, in my opinion, you know, we're all human. There's a lot of factors that go into creating a ruthless outlaw like that. Even after doing things like that, he's still going to be human. He still is going to love and still wants to have a peaceful life. Well said. Uh, I do have one more thought and... I know, I, you, I know you brought up the difference in some minor details. Yeah. Now, I have a thought about that. I feel like a lot of this album is framed as like people recalling, like settlers recalling tales 
of things they'd heard and seen or have been passed around. And naturally, when stuff like that gets passed around, some details get lost in the mix, some details get changed or misinterpreted or misunderstood. And it kind of gives it this like almost word of mouthy feel. Yeah, it's a really great point that you bring up. And history, so much of history is exactly like that. It's word of mouth. It's all passed down in like songs and stories, like campfire stories and stuff like that. It's not, there are very few things that were written down. Beowulf, one of the greatest historical legends, wasn't even written down until like like the 11, 1200s or something like that. Maybe 1300s actually, I think. And who knows how many details and stuff got lost. That adds a real layer of authenticity and, and immersion to this project and to this album. One thing I have to say about this album that you can just truly appreciate is the true commitment to the theme and the style here. I mean, this is really a country concept album at its core. Honestly, at the time, that was really unheard of. Like, yeah, I was looking back at a lot of country from that era, and a lot of it's really radio-friendly and, and just folksy and a lot of different, like, country ballads and covers. And But this was a true country concept album. They did a wonderful job at representing Western mythology. This is the cowboy soundtrack. Yes, yeehaw. <laughs> but you know what we love even more? What was that? El Paso, the next track. Yes, a West Texas town. <laughs> this is this is my favorite song on the record. I almost like the song more than Big Iron. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a classic for sure. It's one of the biggest hits from the album. And it's one of Marty Robbins' biggest hits in general. Yep. He got he had a Grammy for this song in 1960, and it's easy to see why. I mean, it's it's a full story of love and honor, and on top of that, instrumental man, the instrumental. Mm -hmm. Grady Martin is hard. Grady Martin on this, that classical guitar, just chef's kiss. And it's the story of, you can almost argue the same thing about this track uh, with the kind of big iron thing, but it's the story of this guy kind of falling in love with a cantina dancer in El Paso, but it doesn't turn out well for him because the other cowboys are jealous. Which goes to show you that, you know, if you what? get yourself killed for a lady, it might just work out. <laughs> she might just like you. Yeah, but you won't be able to take advantage of it. Because you, you're dead. I don't know that she proclaimed her love for him, but she just, you know, saw this dude do this for her, and he's dying now, and she feels like the only act of kindness she can do is How go nice. there and hold him as he dies. Give him a good old Southern, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> it's it's left very ambiguous, and for that, I, I do appreciate it. This was yeah. actually also a Marty Robbins original. Thought it was. Yeah, no, he um was he, it Saddle Tramp as well? Yeah, Saddle Tramp was as well. Love that song. I see that's what like I think is crazy about Marty and why I'm so shocked there are so many covers on here is because he's actually like a, a pretty good songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like they probably gave him a Tom line like, Yo, Marty, we need this ASAP. And I think that's like, exactly what happened. All right, I've been writing for a while, let's go do it. Let's do it all in one take. You know, it's kind of like a thing. Get in, get out. From what I understand, he actually wrote some of these songs during the recording session. Yeah. Crazy. Which is pretty insane. But Marty... Mad lad. Marty, what I find so interesting about him as a songwriter is he kind of has this knack for writing pop tunes. Like for writing oh, yeah. pop songs. 
it just shows here on this album. I mean, the most memorable tracks here besides like Strawberry Roan are the ones that Marty wrote himself. Honestly, one of my biggest complaints about this album as a whole is I wish there was more of Marty Robbins songwriting. On yeah. That's, that's, that's for country yeah. in general. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, that's definitely a fair they, assessment. I wish they took their time and stopped being like music sweatshops. Like just take your yeah. time. And it feels like it's almost like how the video game industry is where they just rush out products. It's like, man, take your time. Cause yeah. when, cause the little you're giving us of your originals are crisp. They're, refreshing they're good they're catchy like give us more of that and take your time it's fine we're not gonna forget you we're not if you wait a year or two we're not gonna forget who yeah. you are they're kind of relying on this division of labor within the whole community you have some dudes here that write the songs and then the rest of them perform them and they make all the money off of them while the songwriters get the royalties it kind of just goes back to the point we were discussing earlier, how a lot of record labels at that time, and even still today, to some extent, were just in the business of making money, which, I mean, at the end of the day, the music industry is about making money. Their whole purpose is to publish and market records. That's yeah. what they do. And back in the day, I mean, you didn't have Spotify or, or any kind of streaming service. You just had records, like real records. You want to sell as many of those as you possibly can. Why wouldn't you? So it makes sense, but I do think country as a whole is kind of a victim of that. More consistently, I would say, than a lot of other genres. Yeah, I mean, record labels and industries, they're always going to have a hand in rushing it out or pressuring the artist to get a project out in time, you know, with contracts and product demand and stuff like that. And that's not to say that this album is bad or hollow because of that i just felt myself wanting more from robbins as a songwriter that being said in the valley the writing is fine i was just really really bored with the instrumental yeah probably mm -hmm. one of his worst original written tracks yeah i know we just spent several minutes <laughs> i was praising about to say song, marty robbins songwriting but this is probably the weakest song on the entire album besides hey and a string of dubs, you got to catch an ale every once in a while. Well, I yeah. the the melody sticks with me. It's it's a good song, you know. It's about longing. You miss somebody very dear to you, and you want them to come back. I do enjoy a lot of the track listing here, but there are definitely tracks that bleed together because of some of the lack of significant instrumentals. For mm. instance, I can't even think of. How in the valley? Because all I can think of is the song right after. Yeah, the little green valley. The little green valley. Oh, you're and right. That's you're the right. one. Mm -hmm, down in the little green valley. That's the one I remember. Yeah, it's what it kind of they kind of bleed into each other, and they have almost the same name with some few extra words. Yeah, yeah. in the, in the valley yeah. is just kind of overshadowed by in the green valley, which is it's just fine. So many valleys, yeah. man. Yeah, the get on a mountain, Martin. <laughs> In the Valley is more of a sad song. The Little Green Valley is some more similar to 160 Acres. Yeah, yeah. It's another positive note on the record, I'd say. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed this track, but this is further exemplifying what I was talking about earlier with a lot of these tracks just kind of like bleeding together a little bit on the instrumental side. Like you said before, it's the simple instrumentals. We all know the reason why they did that, and I think they're fine. I think they work fine with the songs. I'm not saying that they're bad or unbearable or anything like that. It just left me wanting more on a lot of tracks. You were bored. I was bored, to tell you the truth. Yeah, and that's understandable. Some people enjoy more complex music 
And it's not, yeah, I'm not saying that you wanted it to be a fucking math rock song or something. Or like a, a, a <laughs> cowboy prog epic. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's just, you just wanted a little bit more. This chicken's bland, add some spices, add some lemon pepper seasoning, some, <laughs> some salt and pepper, you know, some, maybe a little bit of cayenne for a kick. We don't eat that white people chicken around here. Oh, no, we don't. You catch me with that white people chicken, I'm throwing it out. Bread is too spicy. No, not salt, no. <laughs> that being said, the following track, The Hanging Tree, I, I love this track. It, another it, story of redemption. It's another story of redemption, and it's probably the most energetic song on the whole record. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of falls into the same reasons I like Big Iron and El Paso so much is, is that instrumentals are layered. They're fuller and they're exciting. They even add some instruments that they hadn't been using on the entire record. Like there's a trumpet, there's even an electric guitar. We love to see it. <laughs> I mean, you, you pretty much said it all, Mac. Sorry. <laughs> You're good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, how'd you, how did you feel about it, Jane? I enjoyed it. I thought felt much like you do. And it's good, catchy melody. Good backup vocals, good instrumentals, good story. I'm, I'm just, I was too busy listening to Saddle Tramp and Cool Water on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Saddle Tramp, another Robin song. A bop. And 100%. I th- still, I think Big Iron and El Paso are better songs, but I think Saddle Tramp might have the catchiest hook out of oh, all yeah, of them. Oh, yeah. The chorus on this one stuck with me. Oh, know? man. The opening guitar lick is very nice as well. Yeah, another favorite, and for a lot of the same reasons we mentioned before, on top of the chorus. Personal favorite. Bop. Of course, it's a story of a wanderer, you know, a, a yeah. rambling man. Type of guy who likes yeah. to roam around. He's never in one place. Yeah. Goes to town to town. After that, um, it's just a, an extended version of El Paso, and I don't really feel like treading over that. It doesn't really like add yeah. a whole lot to the track. Yeah, it wasn't Saddle Tramp in this Bonus El Paso, like part of the bonus. Yeah, yeah. Bonus it was that, and um, I believe in the Green Valley. Crazy that they left that song. Yeah. Off. Criminal, if you ask me. Yeah, Saddle Tram should have been on the original. Yeah, this wasn't even added until the 1999 like re-release. But overall, I think Marty Robbins has put together a solid, approachable, and thematically consistent country concept album. I really appreciate that Marty was so forward-thinking in terms of country for the time. But I felt that a lot of tracks bled together and weren't that interesting. And I think that's really because of just how many covers were on here and how underutilized a lot of the talent for the session musicians used on this album. Like it was completely underutilized. And I think that's a crime because some of the session musicians here are a plus talent. And for that reason, I'm going to give this album a seven out of 10. I had a lot of fun with it, and I never felt at any point that the the songs were awful or bad or overtly offensive or anything like that. It's just a lot of it really kind of bled together for me, and even if I did enjoy a lot of the stories and the songs. But with that being said, I think this is very approachable, and for an outsider looking in and somebody who's trying to get into classic country, I think this is a fantastic entry point. Agreed. This album really is all about the stories. It's really what sucks me in, taking me to a different world, a different time. It really puts me right there in the saddle. It really puts you right in the middle of Western mythology, and I love it so much. And that's really what draws me to this album more than anything else. The instrumentals are great, the melodies are wonderful, the performances are all great, but for me it's really the stories and 
I'm going to give it an eight and a half for that. Just the origin, just that originality of that, of the concept and the storytelling and Marty's just great hooks. This stands up really well to a lot of, especially a lot of the country that came later in the sixties. That was really like kind of hit or miss. It fits in even now into a lot of places. Like you didn't think it could be in a soundtrack for a video game. And it shows off his, not only his songwriting capabilities, but also his capabilities of writing a good cover and making, he does a really good job of making songs his own. I feel like as a country music legend, you've got to have that in your back pocket. I mean, all the greats did. Cash did. um, Waylon did. Denver did. And he brings all of that on this album. I do think that the album could be filled out a little bit more. I feel like country music as a genre, as a whole, learned this lesson in the 60s. That's why in the 70s, you kind of have like the whole slide guitar and you have all that, all that like filling in the space. They look back at their music and was realized all these other genres, they're making like real energetic music and full music. And we're kind of like empty. So I feel like this album suffers from being a little hollow, but overall really good, really enjoyable. I think this is a seven and a half. Country music is like a dive bar. Like, that cheeseburger better be hitting, because if it's not, no one's going to come. There's less, the music is simpler, there's less moving parts, the instrumentation is more, way more sparse than any other genre. So, the lyrics and the hooks and the songwriting have to be on point, because if they're not, it just doesn't, doesn't work. And that's, that is really the foundation of country as a genre. It's the songwriting. It's all about the songs. It's all about the melodies. I guess I can see why country has taken so long to evolve. Well, I mean, foundationally, like you guys are saying, it's mm-hmm. just about it's about the songwriting and the music and the vocals. Like rock, like other genres, I believe that country could evolve. Thing is, people did kind of get tired of country, and then that's when bluegrass came along. Yeah, and bluegrass incorporated those instrumentals. There's a lot of overlap. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I mean, you know, like I said, outsider looking in, I grew up around a lot of bluegrass, but I and I appreciate the technicality and the musicianship of bluegrass. I do. I've just never really personally enjoyed the genre. There's also the fact that it's kind of tied to a culture in a way. Hot take, I'd say country is almost more tied to a culture than rap is because at no point was country ever really geared Southern pop kind of, but it was never really geared to appeal to everyone. Like, especially like how rap is nowadays, which is like all party lyrics and all that stuff and trying to get away from like the, you know, the conscious rap talking about like, you know, ghettos and the projects and all that stuff. It's more just mm-hmm. kind of like party bangers. Country is kind of like towards the mainstream. Yeah. Well, like mm-hmm. we gear this toward country and even Southern pop is it, with the lyrics. It's kind of like, these are for like, we're not making this for people that live in downtown Chicago and go to, <laughs> go to Kanye West concerts and drive their Teslas. Like this isn't for those people, which is mm-hmm. why I only connect with it when I'm like feeling very blue collar, like middle class, like working man. I only really listen to country like when I'm at work. I mean, not every genre has to appeal to every single person on the planet. It just doesn't resonate with me as a whole. I have found stuff to appreciate in country and I'm glad we talked about this album because it's kind of opened my eyes to country more. But I think it's going to be a while before I really like 
feel and appreciate country to the extent that so many people do. We're going to find Mac a country album that he's going to like. I, I want to find a country album that I can say, wow, this was incredible. We're going to find an album for you where some of the songs in there are going to make you cry. We're going to do it. We're going to listen, make him listen to Rio. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm not so. writing off country as a genre. I just personally, oh, yeah, I know. in my very limited experience with country, have never. I just I just want to find something that really, you. Like truly resonated. We're going to make him album. listen to Cowgirls yeah. Don't Cry. <laughs> Cowgirls <laughs> Don't Cry. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I want to find something that you can connect with, that you will connect with. And we'll continue that journey another time on the Off the Key podcast. I suppose I will be in country limbo until then. <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, any final thoughts, guys? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, I'm your host, Mac. This is the Off the Key Podcast. And we're out of here. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I will say. Same. more epic besides like the ones that were like stupid long like you might have to do the most editing you've ever done I'm gonna have to edit what is it? no it's offense like, guys about an hour or something it's probably gonna cut down probably well there was good discussion I'm not saying it was yeah. a bad episode I just felt like we were really yeah hey everybody Mac here and I wanted to give a shout out to Lacrembo for the intro and outro music I'm going to put his channel link in the YouTube version of this video, but for those on streaming services, it is spelled L-U-K-R-E-M-B-O. Please go check him out. Thanks, guys.